thinking about learning to shoot considering buying a gun want to enjoy the sport of shooting with a friend or family member how about getting involved in competitive shooting sim trainer offers all these opportunities and more visit call or stop by visit us at sim-trainer.com call the range at 293-3914 or stop by the range at 2031 dryden road then listen to the podcast by clicking the radio link at sim-trainer.com Welcome to this edition of Shooting from the Hip, brought to you by Sim Trainer, the Dayton area's leading firearms training facility. I'm Jeff Pedro, and with Mark Avery, Sim Trainer is located at 2031 Dryden Road in Moraine, right across from DPNL. You can visit us on the web at sim-trainer.com, or you can give us a call at the range at 937-293-3914, and we'd be more than glad to discuss with you any of your firearms-related needs or interests. If you would like to uh, ask any questions or make any comments about anything that we discuss on the show, feel free to go to our website under the contact tab and go ahead and send us a message, ask us a question, and we'll get right back to you as soon as we can. In addition, if your question is something that we feel that the broader audience would probably be interested in hearing the answer to, we'll make sure at a subsequent uh, broadcast that we go ahead and address that because we want to make sure we get information out in a timely manner. As I mentioned uh, several weeks ago when I talked about the podcast format format over the next several weeks, I said each week we're going to kind of pick a topic to kind of be the the main issue that we're going to focus on. And this week we're going to be talking about one of the the major legislative issues here in the state of Ohio relative to concealed carry that has gotten at the very least a lot of discussion over the last several months. And that is House Bill 142, which has now been reintroduced as substitute House Bill uh, 142, which is a, a bill to modify the law enforcement um, re- requirement of, for individuals to notify law enforcement that they're concealed handgun licensees. Initially, the bill uh, sought to eliminate the duty altogether um, of an individual to promptly uh, inform law enforcement upon contact that they were a concealed handgun licensee if, in fact, that they were carrying at that time. Substitute Bill 142 uh, modifies that to a certain degree in that it says that um, the individual is not required to do so until asked for identification. And then when asked for identification, he's required to provide an Ohio driver's license and or um, uh, ID card, and then also to display a concealed handgun license if in fact he is carrying a gun at that particular time. Make this very clear. If an individual is not carrying a firearm consistent with his concealed handgun license, there's no duty at all to inform. It's only if, in fact, they are carrying the gun at the time they have contact from law enforcement. Now, one of the things that we always cover in our class is that we recommend that you do go ahead and provide that notice, even if you're not carrying a firearm, simply because your fact of uh, having a license is associated with your driver's license or any car that's registered in your name. So if you provide that notice, then even if you're not carrying a firearm, at that point when when the record is pulled and they find out that you have a license, then there's no ambiguity there as to did you just forget or you're trying to not let them know. But you provided the notice and said, and oh, by the way, I don't have my firearm with me, but I just want to let you know. 
I think it's a courtesy. It's it, like you said, Jeff, it's not a legal requirement. Yeah. And a couple other things before I go on any further, I just want to remind our listeners that um, when you're carrying your firearm, you are required to have uh, the concealed handgun license with you and also the driver's license with you. This does not address that at all. Yeah. Driver's um, license or other, other form of government issued photo ID. Right? Correct. So that doesn't address that at all. So this is just the whole issue evolved over a concern that uh, there was some vagueness and ambiguity on the term promptly. When exactly would they uh, be required to uh, give the information? And there, there are some cases in the state of Ohio where they've been contested in the courts and uh, there's been some issues raised. And I just want to remind our listeners also that when you look at the thousands or tens of, tens of thousands of cases where law enforcement come in contact with concealed handgun licensees over the course of a year, certainly since the evolution of concealed carry in Ohio since 2004, the overwhelming uh, majority of those go uh, without any incident whatsoever. But there are some concerns, and the legislature is trying to come up with a reasonable compromise to those concerns. And in addition to providing uh, the, the two forms of identification, once asked for identification, um, the individual can also orally inform the officer that he has a concealed handgun license and he has his gun on him, and then produce the, the documentation either simultaneously or shortly thereafter. Um, typically, there are many private individuals who they will say, officer, I have my concealed handgun license and I have my uh, gun on me. My hands are on the steering wheel. What would you like me to do? I'm never going to tell anybody to go against that line of thinking. I certainly don't want you to make kind of fast, out of the ordinary um, movements in any particular direction to get your wallet or to pull up your shirt to show them you have a gun. Certainly, we discourage that. We don't want that at all. So um, this law is just designed primarily to help address the vagueness or ambiguity of the concept of promptly and when that promptly should be. The other part of the law that I think really um, is, is really more interesting to me is that failure to comply is um, going to be reduced to a minor misdemeanor with the maximum fine of no more than $25 and no possibility of individ individual um, having their concealed handgun license uh, forfeited or suspended. So that's yeah, and the no part. possibility of jail time, that's which was exactly another right. thing. You yes. had up to six months jail time possible yes. for a first degree misdemeanor. As a misdemeanor one, it could be up to six months jail time, which was very significant. So I think that's the part of the law that uh, really is, is beneficial because there are people who get nervous and they forget they get tied up in the situation. But uh, I want to go back to what I've said many times about this. And then I think this is a real issue because I served in law enforcement for almost 30 years. And I give the practical scenario where you're on the scene of an incident and an officer happens to roll up and he starts to talk with you and you're engaging in conversation. You might be given a witness testimony of something that you happen to see. A backup officer comes up on the scene and as you turn or twist, he sees that you have a holster with a gun in it and the officer's really not addressing that. The, off, the backup officer knows nothing other than his officers talking with an individual who has a gun on him. And there could be a chance where the backup officer may draw the gun, order you down at gunpoint in the middle of a, a hot July day on the, in the hot asphalt out in the middle of the road. And it could just create a, a difficult situation all around. I think the, I think the duty to inform as a law enforcement officer and as an individual is very reasonable. I will tell you as a law enforcement officer, um, when I have been stopped on a few occasions over my career when I've been off duty, that's the first thing I do is put my hands on the steering wheel and I inform the officer that I'm a uh, off-duty police officer and I have a firearm. 
It's something I always did as a courtesy to the officer. And um, I think that that's just a, a very simple thing to have people do. And I think it's unfortunate if any of the cases that have kind of created the, the, the motivation on the part of some groups, and I, and I want to mention not all groups, and the, the Buckeye Firearms Association, for example, they're a big advocacy group. They are not in favor of the original. They were not um, totally in favor of the original version, and they are very supportive of the current version as the language um, uh, is stated in a particular case. But there are groups out there. I don't think they there. were opposed to the original They weren't opposed version, to it, but, no, but yeah. they, they, they said that they're okay with that, and they're, they're kind of the... The, the, the largest and most representative gun rights group, I think, in the state of Ohio, they stay on top of things. They have people that follow legal cases. They're, they're very practical in the way they, they think through different scenarios. But not only Buckeye Farms Association, but just the tens of thousands of people out there who I talk to or I, who I've heard comments from and who have uh, you know, made public comments uh, just about concealed carry, they, I've not really heard anyone, I can honestly say in the 13 years, I've not heard a single person say they object to the duty to inform law enforcement because they understand the concept. Now, I'm sure there are people out there, and uh, we've had people call this show who have objected to that particular issue. And, Mark, maybe you've had, heard some go the other way. I, yeah, I mean, but it's it, it's mostly academic. I mean, it's in terms of you know, I, I have a right to keep and bear arms, and I shouldn't have to tell anybody anything, and I have a, and I also have a right not to, to have to testify against myself, which technically it could be considered that. So from that perspective, from a constitutional perspective, I understand the concern but I think, I think, as you say, in this case, this, that's really not the issue. Where there's been an issue, it's been because somebody either forgot or uh, I don't think I can't I find it hard to believe anybody who has a concealed handgun license who went through any kind of reasonable training at all or even just read the attorney general's guidebook could reasonably argue that they didn't know that they were supposed to provide that notice. But there are times when that notice hasn't been provided. And so. They can get in quite a, a serious uh, bit of trouble as a result of that, lose their license um, up to potentially six months in jail and a significant fine. Well, you know, taking those penalties away without shifting the duty from the person who has the license to inform law enforcement, I, I don't really see a problem with that. And some people would say, well, they can see in the system that you have a license. Yeah, that can be true, but they don't necessarily have that information. They, the officers, don't necessarily have that information at their first contact with you. So having that duty remain with the concealed uh, licensee is probably not a bad thing. And it, and like you say, it's really not that difficult. It's not that tough. And, and as long as you don't get all uh, stressed out over the situation, which is typically the case. I mean, let's face it. Anytime those, you get stopped in a traffic stop and those lights come on in your rearview mirror, there's a stress situation involved there. Given, noted, as a police officer, you obviously dealt with that on, on the receiving end from people a lot of times. That doesn't change the basic understanding of who the people are. And frankly, most of the people that I've talked to uh, in the law enforcement, certainly around here, they see the concealed handgun license as a good guy card. That's right. That's, that's not something that says you're a problem. That says you've been through the process to carry a firearm. You're a responsible citizen. We're not concerned about you guys. It's the guys who are carrying a firearm that wouldn't be eligible for a license because they're criminals in the first place. Those are the ones they're concerned about, and rightly so. So when somebody who is a concealed handgun licensee provides that notice, that just 
kind of fills in a square and says, okay, I know a little bit more about you than I do about most people that I have to run in contact with. So yeah, th- that's exactly the case, Mark. And, and, you know, having been a law enforcement officer, I lived it personally. And then again, uh, in my post-law enforcement career, I've talked to many people uh, on both sides of the fence on a lot of issues. But on this particular issue, it seems uh, pretty well grounded in, in common sense that it's a good way to kind of proceed. And I don't think it's going to um, create a lot of controversy. I know there are still people who are against it, but I think uh, this will probably pass through. And maybe by the uh, end of this fall, uh, we'll be reporting that the law, the, the, the modification becomes law. Now, I want to mention that several of the enhancement, enhancements for subsequent offenses are still in the original law. In other words, you do it one time, it'll be a minor misdemeanor. You do it again, it's going to elevate to a higher crime. You do it a third time, it's going to elevate to a higher crime. That's typically how the law goes. Now, the good thing is most people get the message after the first mishap. It was just something they, you know, an oversight or you know, whatever the circumstances were, but certainly when they have formal intervention, law-abiding people who don't intend to do anybody any harm or, or have no wrongful intent from the beginning, they learn from the slight mistake they get into. Other people, and, and I'll tell you, I've reported recently the two cases in, in East Dayton where the individual um, shot and killed a, uh, um, uh, a new boyfriend of his ex-girlfriend and then fled to South Carolina and ended up having a shootout with the police and uh, he was he was caught after he surrendered. Uh, that particular case, that individual was a multiple-time offender. They do not get it. The same is true with more recent cases, such as the, the case in Kettering where the officer shot the individual that reached for a gun. He should not have been in possession of that gun in the first place. He had numerous previous uh, uh, convictions for felony offenses. Um, they just don't get it. They do things on a repeated basis. But law, law-abiding citizens, it sometimes only takes one minor mix-up, and sometimes not even formal charges, just being talked to and maybe warned by law enforcement. Um, it, it turns out to be a very effective way to deter future similar conduct. Well, just think about how a lot, most people respond to getting a traffic warning. So, you know, whatever it was, when I'm, I'm not going to do that again, or at least I'm going to do everything I can to stay out of, of that situation. If you'd like to get more information on this bill and the status of it, there are two good articles that uh, are on the Buckeye Firearms Association website that were posted on September 19th and 20th. And they do a, a pretty decent job of covering uh, the issues and what the change would be between the current status of the law and what the new law would be. And uh, also includes uh, some of Jim Irvine's testimony that uh, was given before the House committee. So that's uh, if, you're, if you're interested in this and you want to get more information, that's a great resource. Uh, the folks at Buckeye Firearms Association are doing the whole, all of Ohio and really, in many ways, a lot of the United States a service by the, the good articles that they put up on a regular basis. Well, we've mentioned so many times how this law has evolved over the last 13 years, and this is just another part of that evolution. You know, we're, we're continuing to, to make progress towards uh, where there's very little restric- restrictions, where there are no gun-free zones. Um, and each each year, it seems, we start to, or we continue to make uh, more progress as the the concerns of the anti-gun community are not played out and the um, the truth is getting getting told. And I think right now, the way the climate is, um, particularly over the last couple of years, there are more, more people seeking truth behind statements rather than just taking statements on their face. And we've talked several times about just broad, totally inaccurate statements that... Uh, the, uh, what's the group again? Everyone for 
Uh, yeah, the Bloomberg groups. Yeah, the Bloomberg yeah, groups. One. They just throw something out there hoping that the, the people who just look at what they see and take it on its face value will believe it and then therefore send a contribution and tell their friend. That stuff isn't happening with the regularity of the it has in the past. I know that this particular show, I take great pride in the fact that we've tried to um, debunk a lot of that crap that's getting thrown around out there and um, try to in turn give you source data where you can verify information. The Buckeye Firearms Association, in my mind, is the most viable and most informative organization that we have access to for gun-related issues because they stay on top of things. They're not just an advocacy group that wants your money just so they can exist. They are a group that really is pushing forward with an agenda that is in the interest of all of us. Yeah, and in fact, none of the funding that they receive from people who join the Buckeye Firearms Association, which is now possible, it wasn't for a long time, but that doesn't go to run the Buckeye Firearms Association. Everybody who works there works and donates their time. It's it's to pay for some of the advertising, some of the lobbying efforts, the legal bills associated with uh, some of the writing of some of this, and they actually assist with the writing of, of some of the legislation. I don't know about this one in particular, but they have assisted with some of the legislation that we have had. And about the legislation, as you mentioned, there have been several changes since the law first went into effect. And every single one of those changes has been better for gun owners. Yes. So there's not been anything that's taken a step back. There's every, every step that we've made. Now, there may have been some changes that we wish had gone farther. And I'm certainly one of those people who wishes that we had gone a lot farther. I have said many times that I think the, the only gun law that we need is the Second Amendment. Beyond that, uh, it's, it's superfluous. But we have these in place, and if we're going to live under the color of law, then we probably need to understand what they are, and when they're not what we want them to be, we should change them. Every change that's happened, even if they don't get to quite where I'd like them to be, they're always better than, than the change was before the before it was before the change. So if you look at the table, for example, of what this law would change, everything in it is something that takes it in the right direction towards the uh, the responsible behavior by gun owners and say, yeah, we're not going to penalize you for making a small mistake as opposed to being an in intentionally evil person. Reducing the maximum penalty that goes along with it, the, the p potential crime that you could be charged with, w eliminating the possibility of jail time, and giving a very specific time when that notification needs to occur, when you are asked for ID. The other thing that's, that would change is that you don't have to provide that notice to every person who you deal with, and you don't have to have everybody in the vehicle if you're in a car. Everybody doesn't have to provide that notice. It only applies to the person who is having that interaction and has been asked for ID. So those are some fairly significant changes, and yeah, they're tweaks, but they're changes that are going to make things a lot more precise, a lot easier to identify, yes, you've done the right thing. And for that, I think this this really is a definite improvement. I want to shift gears just a little bit and uh, tell our listening audience something they may or may not be aware of, but Smith & Wesson just this last week released the Smith & Wesson M&P Model 2.0 compact version of that uh, very delightful pistol. Um, several months back, they released the, the 2.0 full size. It was part of the military um, tests and trials to help the military determine 
what gun they're going to go with for the new contract. But um, uh, when they released it to the, the public, uh, many people had very favorable reviews. I was one of them. I shot it and found it to be one of the, the nicest shooting semi-automatic pistols I've shot in many, many years. Um, I just wished at the time that they launched the concealed version because I felt that that was going to be much more desirable because uh, at least in with the people that I associate with, they're looking more for concealment guns than they are for guns that they might be carrying on duty as police officers or security personnel or military personnel. They're looking for something for concealment. And uh, the 2.0 full size was even for a person my size or Mark's size, uh, a little bit big. But the, the compact version of that, I think, is going to be a big hitter. Um, it has all of the features that are very desirable, and the, the most notable being the, the aggressive textured grip, which also allows you, it comes with four, not three, adjustable grip swells that uh, you can change the, the length of pull on the gun by uh, just a simple dialing of a little rod in the bottom of the um, bottom of the stock and taking that off and changing it to something that might fit your hand a little bit more uh, comfortably. And uh, the other thing, they included a performance center trigger adjustment to the gun to make the trigger pull very, very, um, very, very smooth. And it has a great break point. And the gun overall is just tremendous. Uh, we have one that is uh, going to be on the range program very shortly. And uh, we have several that are going to be available for sale next week. And it's a great opportunity for you to come in and try this gun. If you've already shot the M&P, come on in and shoot the compact. See if it's something that you might be interested in. We're going to be offering them for $500. Um, and that's, again, coming uh, in the compact version, the Smith & Wesson uh, 2.0. Uh, we also have the full size if you're still interested in that. We have several of those in stock. And uh, this next week, we're going to be having a big Smith & Wesson sale because uh, many of you probably know the, the, the mail-in offer that Smith & Wesson is offering for the purchase of any M&P pistol uh, ends on September 30th. With that offer, uh, you purchase an M&P pistol, and it's any M&P, whether it's the standard M&P, the 2.0, or the M&P Shield, you get uh, two extra magazines, two boxes of Hornady personal defense ammunition, and a... Um, uh, Caldwell uh, magazine charger uh, free of charge once you submit the, the rebate form either online or through the mail. So um, come on into the range and certainly take advantage of the, the offers that we have going on starting tomorrow. You can get either the full size or the um, compact 2.0 for $500. And we got a great deal going on the standard M&Ps. We're selling the standard M&Ps for $425. That's both the standard full size and the standard compact. We have the shield on sale for $350, and we have one or two of the M&P 2.0 uh, 5.25 uh, Flat Desert Earth uh, competition-style type gun. We have uh, actually only one left because we just sold one last week, but uh, that's only $525. So there's some great bargains, plus you're going to get an opportunity to um, – uh, submit for that uh, that rebate offer. In addition, if you buy either of the two point, I'm sorry, either of the, the standard M&P, either the full size or the compact, you get your choice of a free Blackhawk Serpa or Phobos holster. So we have those in the store that we're ready to uh, um, give to people who come in and take advantage of that deal. Let me just add a little bit of something on the 2.0, because if you are a, a shooter of the M&P series already and you have not tried the 2.0, you really want to come in 
and and give that gun a try. Uh, if especially if you have maybe a full size and you were looking to get a compact, try the MP 2.0. Uh, if we have the compact in already at that point when you can give it a try, you can try that one. If you don't, even just trying the full-size 2.0, you are going to feel a significant difference just in the way it fits your hand and how comfortable it is. And I can't encourage you enough to come in and give that gun a try. I'm not a, an M&P shooter routinely, but I love the way that gun feels in my hand. And if it wasn't for how I'd have to completely retrain my my muscle memory for the grip angle on the Glock, I would probably get one of those. Yeah. I may have to get one anyway, just because I, it's a great gun. I'm in the same position, but I think I'm going to get one just to have one because I was, and I'll probably go with the full size and maybe even start considering shooting that in some of the competitions because it is really a nice feeling gun. And it, it's, it, it, the break point is tremendous. Um, the, the sight picture is great. Uh, I, I can't think of anything negative about it. I'm really excited about the opportunity to shoot the, the compact uh, again. Um, I will say the only thing I had wished from the beginning, both for the M&P Compact Standard and then the 2.0, I just wish they would not have included the light rail just because it would have made it a little bit more compact. However, there is a big advantage because there's a lot of people putting lights on there, uh, lasers on there, so it provides the opportunity to accessorize. But just my personal observation was just for compactability, I would, it would have been nicer if they just rounded it off instead of adding that, but I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference because the actual length is going to be the same. It won't change the actual length of the holster. It may, can, it may have changed the contour of the holster, but not significantly that's going to cause any particular problems. We have another offer I want to let you know about. We have, uh, as part of the Smith & Wesson sale, the, this will not be eligible for the, the rebate, the mail-in rebate, but we have our M4 um, Smith & Wesson 15 Sport 2 rifles on sale for $600. Plus, if you buy it this week, you if you actually if you get it here in the next few days, um, you're going to get to come if you get it soon enough to the uh, M4 rifle class on Monday night, the 25th, free of charge. Now, if you happen to come to the M4 rifle class because you're not sure, you know, about the M4 rifle, it's the first time for you, and you end up um, decide, you know what, I really like that, and I want to buy one. I'll take the hundred dollars off the price of the rifle, and you'll get the rifle for uh, $500. So that's a that's a great deal. You're going to learn how to shoot it, everything about it. You learn how to load it, charge it, break it down, everything you need to know. And either way, um, it's going to cost you $600. So if you buy the rifle, you come to the class. If you come to the class and you get the rifle, the total cost is going to be $600. Um, the, the average price for that gun, MSRP, and what most people uh, are offering it for and have been offering it for for quite some time is between $600 and $750, bucks, and that does include the training. And I want to tell you that once you come to the training, it's the easiest class for me to teach. And in most cases, it's the easiest for students to learn because shooting the M4 rifle truly is a pleasure. Um, there's no very little recoil issues. Uh, once you learn about the parts and the functional operation, it's very easy to do. So I want to encourage you. Again, that class is going to be on um, Monday night from 6 to 9. I know it's got six or seven already in it, um, so we've got room for a few more. And it'd be a great opportunity for you to find out about an M4 rifle and or if you're thinking about getting one, go ahead and get one, come to the class. Either way, it's only going to cost you a total of $600. And, you know, we talk a lot about people getting training before they go buy a gun. And that we this is in no way is taken away from that because we really do recommend that. But if you are sure that you want to get an M4 rifle, you're not going to get a, another M4 rifle at this kind of price point that is anywhere close to the quality point. Uh, the, the Smith & Wesson uh, group did a fantastic job with their M4. 
they didn't come out with one right away. They were one of the last ones to come out with the M4 when the M4 craze was big a few years ago. But they really did it right. They did a nice job with it. It's a great gun. And at the 600 point, yeah, it doesn't include a whole lot of fancy extra whiz bangs, but they don't need them because you just, in fact, none of them do. There's, it's still a Barbie gun. You can still add all that stuff to it if you want to later. But if you're looking at getting an M4, that's, this is a good gun to get. And then you can use your gun for the class. And if you're not sure you want to get an M4, and, and there's, I'm sure, a lot of people out there who fall in that category, then do sign up for the class. You can use one of our guns for the class. Then you, you have to buy your own ammo, but you can use the gun for the class. You'll take that $100, and if you say, hey, you know, this is kind of fun, I like this, then you can apply that $100 towards the, the first $100 of the 600 to buy the gun, and you get the same super deal either way. Plus, you have the confidence of knowing that, yeah, I can really do this. Um, I don't, you know, don't want to buy a gun that I can't shoot. You'll know what it feels like. You'll know... It's a really easy gun to shoot, and it's easy to shoot accurately. The longer sight radius, if you've ever shot a handgun and you know how accurate you can be at, at whatever distance, well, you can just double or triple that distance real easily when you go with a longer sight radius and have an extra point of contact when you go with a long gun. So it's a, it's a, great, it's a great weapon. It's a great uh, tool to use for whatever recreational or hunting use. Obviously, can't use it for deer hunting. But uh, other hunting uses, you can use uh, and that kind of a rifle. Works great. And you can put optics on it if you want to. It also has flip-up sights on it, and they're either one you can, you can do real well. Yeah, the nice thing about it, that, that's one of uh, four or five that we have on the range program. You can shoot that one a couple different DPMSs, a Walther, and one other manufacturer. We've got several different variations. Plus, toward the end of the class, if you want to, we can easily mount a red dot so you can see how you can um, uh, kind of co-align the red dot with the iron sights. But the class focuses on being able to use the weapon system as it was designed. And then, like Mark said, you can accessorize all you want. Uh, most people, they might go to a magnified scope and or a red dot, but that's about it. Other people might want to put a light and or a laser on it. They certainly could do that. Matter of fact, uh, Crimson Trace makes a combo unit that uh, you replace the the, the pistol grip and uh, you put on a on, on the, the front rail, you just put a combination laser light and the light has various modes and it has a real neat functional, it's, it's uh, wireless, so it uh, uses um, the transmission of... Yeah, it's kind of, I think it's a Bluetooth connection yeah. between the uh, the light itself and, and the, the grip. And the grip and the, so, and the yeah. command, so it's or the controls, it's a very viable option, but we'll certainly let you see some of the basic options and you can shoot the gun, see how easy it is to shoot and determine if it's right for you. One other great deal I wanted to let our listeners know about. Uh, we told you that we would have some really smoking hot deals on the podcast throughout this uh, next six to eight weeks, but we're going to be running our regular special. It's the combination of our basic and concealed carry class you get for $150. However, now we're going to throw in the ammunition. So we're going to throw in the cost of ammunition for both of, the, both of those classes, which uh, would cost you about $25 per class, so $50 for the two classes. In addition to the savings of getting the classes that are normally $100 a piece for $150, that's a total savings of $100. So if you just came into the range and you only took basic handgun and then later on you took concealed carry, provided you didn't have any of the many discount cards that we have circulating out there, you would pay $100 <laughs> for each class plus uh, 
pay $25 for the ammunition, so you're looking at $125 each for a total of $250. But here, for $150, you're going to get both classes. You schedule them when they're convenient for you between now and the end of 2017. Obviously, you want to take basic before you take concealed carry because you would get the maximum benefit out of that. If by, if by chance you weren't able to do that, it'll still work for you. But the best progression yeah, would better. be basic uh, before concealed carry, but you're going to save the cost of ammo plus get the $50 savings. So if you're interested in that special, when you call down to the range, just mention the, the, the keyword combo ammo. Combo ammo will be the keyword for that, and that'll let our staff know that you want to take advantage of the, the combo basic concealed carry class with the free ammo. So um, go ahead and take advantage of that and see if it's something that we can get you uh, uh, into the range, get you a gun that's right for you, get you the concealed carry class so you know when you can, when you, sh- when you can't, where you should, where you shouldn't, and all related legal issues and get you where you need to be in a very short period of time. And if you sign up for those two classes online, and you can use that in the coupon code combo ammo. Uh, no space in between there. Just uh, run them together. Uh, main, by the time it should work, by the time we have this podcast available for you. So when you hear this, you'd be able to go out there and sign up online at sim-trainer.com. Sign up for those two classes and put that in uh, in the coupon code, and that'll automatically apply your discount. We only have a few minutes uh, to go, but I want to let you know about um, in a couple of weeks, uh, October fourth. I'm going to have a very uh, special guest here at the studio. Um, I've been trying for. Uh, quite some time to uh, talk with this individual and work out something. But Bob Vogel, who's one of the most renowned competitive shooters in the country, lives right in our wonderful state of Ohio up in St. Paris, um, has agreed to come on to the show. And we're going to talk about everything guns, particularly competition related. I'm trying to pull his arm for him to come down early. That's a Wednesday. I'm trying to get him to come down early and go through our course of fire at our competition just so we can videotape it and compare it against the rest of us who will look like slugs compared to the way he goes. (laughs) Um, You really need to go to his website. Just put in a keyword search, Bob Vogel, V-O-G-E-L is his last name, and his website comes up, and he's got lots of videos, and that boy can pull the trigger accurately as fast as anybody on the earth. Um, He has won, um, I think, all of the major tournaments multiple times. Um, I'm not sure that he's won the major tournaments the most times of all time because he's only in his mid-30s. So he he still has many years of good eyesight, good reflexes, and great speed. But he's going to come on the show, and we're going to talk about some things. And uh, I wanted to get his perspective because competitive shooting is uh, very fun. It's very challenging. There are a variety of ways in which you can participate. I know Mark and I, we shoot obviously in the competitive league at the range, but then we've also recently started when we have time available, that, that when we have time available is the key, we do the steel challenge over at the Green County Fish and Game Club, and we're having a great time doing that. Yeah, it's just another way you can help enhance your skills and have a, have a fun time. And the nice thing about that is we have people in age range over there, and this is truly interesting, from age of 10 or 12 all the way up to about 80. And um, you men and women, everybody's welcome. And uh, it's a very safe environment. They run a great show. It's a nationally based program, but uh, they do a great job. The fishing game, the, the Green County Fishing Game Club has been generous enough to open it up to the, the, the broader community. Yeah, and you not don't only have to members, be a member there. don't so. have to be a member to come to the Steel Challenge. There's only one left. Uh, there's on um, October 7th will be the last Steel Challenge. Which um, would be the same day that that show would air. I mean, in in terms of uh, being available on our uh, on our website podcast, yeah, it'll so, be available. Yeah, yeah that that would be, uh, um, yeah, that would be following up. So it's kind of a an action filled weekend. But uh, 
that's just something to think about. But uh, that's I just wanted to kind of give you a couple weeks heads up because I know there's lots of things going on. But the nice thing about the podcast, it's going to be there. And I'm sure he's going to have some very insightful information, probably have a few humorous uh, circumstances that have occurred because one of the things I want to ask him is, you know, how he got involved and in, in kind of his progression. This isn't something that just happens overnight. You don't get to be the best at your game just by trying it once or twice. But in his case, being so young, um, he started very young, and he's just at the, the peak of his uh, um, ability right now and just doing a great job winning championships all over the world, not all over the country. So just kind of give you a heads up on that. So um, until next week, this is Jeff Pedro and Mark Avery for Shooting from the Hip. Thinking about learning to shoot? Considering buying a gun? Want to enjoy the sport of shooting with a friend or family member? How about getting involved in competitive shooting? Sim Trainer offers all these opportunities and more. Visit, call, or stop by. Visit us at sim-trainer.com. Call the range at 293-3914 or stop by the range at 2031 Dryden Road. Then listen to the podcast by clicking the radio link at sim-trainer.com.